day. You know, in my recollection, my daughter Beckett's first word was about at six months old, and it was Abba. Now, Abba means father in Aramaic, and that's the language we believe that Jesus spoke. But, of course, language and meaning is really all about context. And as someone very clearly pointed out to me, Beckett was likely not speaking Aramaic because, based on her family situation and cultural heritage, her first word actually could have been referring to the beloved Swedish rock band ABBA. (laughs) However, regardless, we're still very impressed with her. Beckett is fortunate to have an amazing father figure in her life. She was brought into this world with the donation of a very dear friend of mine and my former wife. And although this relationship might be more complicated for us to explain than most, I would argue that most relationships are more complicated than they appear from the outside, especially when you look at father relationships. There's no exception. It was important for me for Beckett to know and to have a relationship, though, with her father. And we were very fortunate to have him in our lives, and she does. And even though Beckett has two mommies, she learned to say dada first. Some speech pathologists actually argue that saying dada first is a sign of a happy baby because they argue that the mmm sound in mama actually comes from experiencing frustration. <laughs> <clears throat> which says a lot about mother-daughter relationships that we won't go into today. But if they haven't found a lot of frustration in their lives, they suggest that they won't actually have the mmm sound until after the da sound. Well, Beckett just turned five this month, and she has plenty of frustration in her life now, so no worries. She says, mama, just fine. But whatever her level of frustration, I can guarantee that dada and even abba that dominant cultural reference of God the Father will likely continue to have a significant impression on Beckett as she is discovering who she is, both separate from and in relationship to God and the men in her life. Now, my relationship to God and the men in my life was greatly impacted by my own father who died in 2011. My father was a singer-songwriter. He did not actually fit into very many of the stereotypical dad boxes. He expressed his emotions pretty well. He was super affectionate. He did like football. There's a lot of stereotypes about dads that are just so odd to me. He was good with his hands if it was with a guitar, but just about anything else that he took apart would pretty much stay disassembled forever um, because he wasn't very good at putting things back together. He was a pulmonary technician trained in the Navy while my mother stayed at home in my early childhood. And he didn't really have any gender-specific expectations of me. It was the 70s, so he'd kind of come along a little ways. He taught me that I could be anything that I put my mind to, other than a rock and roll star, because he himself had tried that and failed at it, and so he believed that stardom depended primarily on luck and wasn't sure he wanted me to waste my time. We learn a lot, though, from the father figures in our lives, what they say, and what they don't say. How we relate to them often shapes how we understand what a father is, who a father God might be, and how to relate to the men in our lives. I was very fortunate to have a father who spent time with me as a child and who actually was truly interested in how I experienced the world. He related to me not just as a kid, but also as a person. 
with an assumption that we were both on a spiritual journey in this world, that he had something to teach me about what he had learned in this life, and that I actually had something to teach him about the way that the world looked from my eyes. My father's spiritual journey involved a deep and profound love for Jesus, and an Eastern influence of Buddhism and actually Yogananda. And as I mentioned in the song, don't forget John Lennon. He had posters of John Lennon all over his room, his music room. This was a religious blend of kind of the best of in his mind. It's clear to me now that his attraction to Buddhism resonated with his understanding of life as suffering. And his desire to still and to quiet his very active, overly stimulated, often, mind. His adoration of John Lennon stemmed from their shared desire to express life's meaning lyrically and Lennon's deeply felt and expressed experience of the world. And his attraction to Jesus was about a message of persistent love and redemption and grace. My dad used to tell me this story that was pretty pivotal in his life. When he was stationed in California as a young man before I was born, he nearly drowned trying to push himself to swim laps underwater in his apartment pool, probably showing off for the girls that were on the edge. He spoke to me about it, and he said because of it, he was also fascinated with the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He said while he was passed out underwater before my mother and another woman actually pulled him out of the pool, he blacked out. He said that he had a vision of two very different worlds being presented to him, one dark and dreary and devoid of emotion, full of empty surface-level pleasures, and another full of light and depth and love. He said he felt that in that moment he had a very clear choice to make, and he chose love. He woke up coughing and gasping for breath on the side of the pool back in this life. Sometimes we choose love, and sometimes love chooses us. And sometimes love is not enough to keep people together. My parents divorced when I was nine, and my father remarried a wonderful woman who became my stepmother. They had a son, and so I had a brother who was born when I was 13, so I was kind of like his aunt because we never had to fight over anything. My brother and I had very different experiences of my father. My brother has very few memories of my father before he became ill. My father was dealt a very bad hand genetically. In his 30s, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. And then soon after, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at a time before they really had the kinds of drugs that they have now to keep the the symptoms at bay. At 40, he battled kidney cancer and had a kidney removed. In his 50s, he had a heart attack and had a stint put in. And through it all, I was so amazed at his resiliency and his deeply ingrained sense of gratitude My dad's default personality, whether or not it was coming out of a seizure or coming back into an awareness from surgery, most often began with, thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you. He would joke with the staff. He managed to make friends wherever he was. 
But these illnesses took a toll on his body and also deeply affected his ability to communicate. So there was a period of time when I was pretty much the only one who could really understand what he was saying. But what was consistent through his parenting of both myself and of my brother during these different decades of his life was that he always was interested in our journeys. Much more curious than judgmental. Displayed by what he said and what he didn't say. When I came out to my father in my 20s, I was living in Dallas at the time, and I called him on the phone, and I remember that conversation very clearly. After my divorce to a man, I had had some time, and I I met my ex-wife, now ex-wife, and I called him to tell him that I'd met someone, and I was dating her. It was a woman. There was this long silence on the phone. I assumed that he was taking it in. He took a breath, and he said, do you love her? And I said, yes. And he said, then I can't wait to meet her. My father taught my brother and I to follow our hearts, even when it's extraordinarily painful. It's risky business, and yet it's something that I believe is what we are here on this earth to do, to love openly and abundantly. And so my father tremendously affected my experience of the holy, simply by being open religiously to multiple understandings of God and by his default assumption that this life is in fact a spiritual one for everyone. Now, many of you might know that I wore a clerical collar for a year last year as a social experiment. It radically changed me and how I encounter the world. Someone during that course of that year told me that the little white square of the tab collar had a very specific purpose. It was a tiny projection screen so that other people could project all of their stories and their bullshit about God onto you. (laughs) Now for some, it's actually easier to access God through someone who looks and acts like me. Isn't that interesting? I woke up this morning nervous that I was going to be talking about my affection for Father God because it seems like in a lot of our churches we've not only thrown out God, but we've especially thrown out Father God, right? Male, patriarchal, this authority idea. It's a lot less threatening to have a lesbian stand up here. (laughs) So for some folks, my gender and my sexual orientation, my flavor of ministry, though, makes it more difficult to be able to access God. right? And my... When my father died in 2011, I insisted on seeing him. This is a little side story. I'd been with the dead and the dying my whole life as a minister, but I had no idea what to expect in seeing my own father. And I wanted to be in the room. He was going to be cremated, and I wanted to be in the room, so I convinced the lady to let me do it. And I stepped into the room, and it was actually so beautiful because he was on a gurney lying down with a sheet covering him up. And no longer was he curled up in a wheelchair, hunched over, his hands restricted with disease and tension. He was actually stretched out and released and tall again, like I remembered him to be as a child. He looked so peaceful, no longer confined by the limitations of this world or his body. And since my own father's death, it has been easier for me to relate to masculine God language. So like the hymn, 
that we sang earlier, I do like to think of God in many different frames, but I don't want to throw out Father God. I choose to apply what I love about my dad when I hear it in a prayer or in a song. It takes me to actually think about his beloved love for God and Jesus. He actually wrote a hymn. He wrote a lot of songs, a lot of rock and roll songs, a lot of love songs, a lot of silly songs. They kind of sounded like a cross between Heart and Steely Dan. My mother was the lead singer. They were the big band in 1976. But he wrote a hymn that really touched me, and it's right around this time when he uh, when he died, it, it, it kind of came back to me. And it's, um, Take me to the train that left me behind Now that I'm found, who knows what I can find Part of me that's innocent, change my mind Lord, take me home, I'm tired of being blind Lord, take me home, I'm tired of being blind Lord, take me home, I'm tired of being blind But to just love a father figure for who he was, for his fallibility and his mistakes and his immense desire to love in this life. When I think of God as father now, it's very personal to me. It's a God who is proud of his children with a short memory for others' mistakes and a long-term memory of love. It helps me to relate to a Father God who believes in me as much as I believe in Him, who I connect to more deeply through music, and who sometimes needs me to finish His sentences, to tell His story, to be His hands in the world. And we learn from the Father figures in our own life, not only by what they say and how they interact with us, but also how they live their lives, all the choices that they make and how they spend their time. Sometimes we learn how not to do everything. I understand that. Sometimes we learn by their way of connecting to those whom they love and how they treat strangers when they show up and when they don't, what they say and what they don't say. And I know that not everyone has been this fortunate to have a father figure in their life that can help them connect to the idea of a father God. But because I have been given this gift, I feel compelled to share it. And so just like I wish for my own child, I want for you the spirit of a loving and forgiving father to touch and to hold you, even if you have to borrow somebody else's. Especially if you have to borrow somebody else's. Our Unitarian and Universalist roots both refer to the Bible, as you know. And it's risky, as I said, in a Unitarian church to to rise up this patriarchal idea of a God. But in Romans chapter 8, we are told, All who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. What was revealed in that passage was a spirit not of not of fear or a spirit of slavery to some kind of idea of following laws and perfection that we can never achieve what was revealed is this idea of a spirit of adoption it says that we're all family we're all brothers and sisters so if you need to borrow my dad you can have him he'd be thrilled One where we can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that we are all children of God. Know that we are all cared for and forgiven. Know that we are called by name to a higher purpose, to be on our own journey. And so I wish for you this Father's Day, more than anything, 
the spirit of adoption. I know that the presence of that feeling is in this place. May you have some of that today. Amen.